The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 104. Again, that's Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both great and small. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
Well, good morning. Um, it is an honor and a privilege to stand before you again and uh, sit at the feet of Jesus and proclaim his word. So uh, for those who are here for the first time wa- uh, worshiping, welcome, man. We're glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Miguel and have the privilege and honor to serve on staff here as director of community. So um, as you already know that we are in Christ in the Psalms. And so uh, at this particular point in our Psalm series, we are in Psalms 104, which is, uh, I would like to say, part two of Psalm 103. Last week, uh, we had Pastor Joel uh, preach our, preached our heart happy uh, with Psalm 103 and reminding us that we have to uh, uh, um, will ourselves, we have to uh, praise God um, no matter what, that, that it is a praise to Him um, and that we have reasons to praise. And so uh, last week was more praising and blessing God with, um, with our soul because he is the uh, savior and forgiver of our sins. And, and what we're going to do with part two here is we're going to uh, continue our praising, right, to God uh, because of his creation. The psalmist is going to use creation to remind us why we ought to praise God. So um, if you would, I will pray for us right now, and if you would, pray for us as well, and then we will sit at the feet of Jesus to hear what he has to say to us. So, Lord, we come broken, messed up folks. Um, Lord knows what we all encountered this week, God. Many of us encountered a lot of happiness and maybe not-so-happiness things that's taking place, but um, one thing is true is that you were ever-present and you are still on the throne. So God, as I stand before you and our people, God, have them not see me merely as an entertainer, but one standing before you proclaiming your word. God, bring life to the places that are dead, to, uh, uh, that are dead in, our, uh, in our life, God. God, bring, uh, 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 rebuke us uh, where it needs to be rebuking, Father. Ignite where uh, things need to be igniting. So, God, we thank you that you are ever-present and you are always at work. So, uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And as a church um, in our homes, we all together said amen. So, it's really simple. I got one point, uh, one main um, point, objective that I want to come across today. And it's really simple. And that is, God is worthy to be praised. That's it. It is, God is worthy to be praised. And this psalm is going to show us through creation why he is worthy to be praised. But before we delve into this, I think it's very appropriate to give us a little bit of background on, on, on this psalm and, and as it helps us navigate uh, through, this, uh, through these passages here. You see, the, this author is really unknown here. Some are credited to David, but it's not really sure. Uh, most scholars say it is unknown. But in this psalm, there, I believe the psalmist has two things in mind. One, you will see a lot of parallel with Genesis 1, the, the creation story. You will, if you go back and read that and you'll see uh, how the, the first seven days are created, you will see the breakdown of that in this psalm as well. But we don't have time to, to get to the nitty-gritty and see all that. So keep in mind, creation story, Genesis 1 is in mind. But also, I believe um, that uh, the psalmist has 
another hymn in mind as he's writing this. This is the, the hymn of Aten here. Now you say, what? The, the hymn of Aten? Okay, understand this just without getting all crazy and wacky on us here. The hymn of Aten was introduced by, uh, by Pharaoh at the time, the, the, the father of King Tut, okay? And the, the whole point of him wanting to introduce is that he was tired of everyone worshiping all these other gods. So what he did was create a religion here. This pharaoh, this king created a religion called monolatristic, right? This religion, monolatristic, which means it is the worship of one god without denying the other ones. So it's saying all the other gods exist. However, this one god, the, the, the sun god, uh, Aten, is worthy of all the worship. That's what I believe that this psalmist has in mind here. And, and you will say, he asks this question, well, why would he have this hymn of Aten in mind? See, um, you have to understand Aten was the sun god, where um, in that time it was like where he provides the season and he is one that breathes life into people. And we'll even see how the psalmist is taking a jab at this because it talks about when the sun goes down, how chaos uh, comes about here. And so the psalmist is having this hymn in mind to point its readers and even us today that it is not the, 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 the sun god, it's not Aten that is worthy to be, be praised, not even the other ones, but in fact it is Yahweh. It is God himself alone that is worthy to be praised. That is what this psalmist has in mind and wants to point us to, as he used creation to point us that it is Yahweh, the one true God, that is worthy of all of our worship and worship alone. But let's not be too quick to, to look down upon and act like we don't experience any of that to, today here. The truth of the matter is, if we're, if we're honest, we also have the propensity to worship other gods in our lives or, or even what culture has created. See, we live in an age where everything is at our fingertips. And because things are so accessible and it's so easy to have and, 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 and we can grab it, we are prone to forget that God is the creator of all things. And because we forget that he is the creator of all things, that means our worship will tend to be spread out to the idols, to the little gods that we have created in our lives instead of the one true God. And so as we go through this Psalms here, we won't go through every single verse. We'll look at it in chunks, but keep in mind and ask yourself, where in my life, where in your life are you worshiping other gods when Yahweh, the one true God, solely deserves all the praise and glory and worship here? And so we'll look to the text as a reminder us through creation of why God, why Yahweh is worthy of praise alone. It's very interesting here, though, is to, to note that Paul even mentions creation and how it displays who God is in Romans chapter 1. Let me remind you of this. He says, for the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, get this, so that they are without excuse. 
Here's one thing is very true that we know based off God's word, that when you look at creation, when you look at the trees, the beautiful mountains that are west here in Colorado and marvel at them, at their beauty, we know that beauty is speaking and shouting and praise and singing glory to the one true God. And so that's why we can look at creation when we look at the mountains, when we look at the trees, when we look at the, the ocean or the lakes or, or whatever it may be, and we can marvel and say how great God is. And he is one who is truly worthy to be praised. So let's now look at our text here. As we will look here, we will see why God is worthy to be praised because verses 1 through 4 talks about, and it sets the tone, how God is above all how he is above all things here. When you look at verse 1, he talks about here, he, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. What's very interesting here, he ends uh, Psalm 103 with, bless, with the same way, Bless the Lord, O my soul, which lets us know this is a part two, a continuation of us singing hymns and, and praising and blessing our God. But he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Then he says, O Lord, my God, you are very good. Let's stop right there. He makes a declaration and reminds his soul that God is very good. And the reason why he is able, the psalmist is able to say that God is very good because he says, Yahweh, my God. There is a relationship there. There is a relationship at play because he's experienced God and he knows God and he has observed him and has awareness to know that he is very good or excuse me, very great, not just kind of great, but very great, meaning there is none like him. And he uses this imagery here in these first passages where he talks about how he clothed himself in light as a garment, right? It talks about how splendor and majesty is his clothing, one of a king, one of royal, one that is above all things. But then it breaks it down and says, that he clothed himself, he's covering himself with light as a garment. Interesting here. Why is that so important that he uses his, this here? Understand here, it was light at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 that was the first thing that was created here. It was light that pierced through and broke through darkness that, 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 uh, at that time when the Spirit was hovering the earth, when God was beautifully standing on his uh, paint stand, painting this world into existence through his words. Light broke through here. He even makes fun of the sun, A10 God, because, you know, he's the sun God. He says, look here, God is so above all everything that he uses light to eat as a garment here. That's the type of God that we're dealing with. That's the type of God that we should worship here. But not only in Genesis chapter 1 where we see that light is spoken of, but then even in Revelation, it mentions how uh, light as well. See, in Revelation chapter 21, um, around verse 23, it talks about how there won't even be a need for the sun anymore. No, there won't be no need for that because the glory of God himself will be our light. You understand? You see what I'm saying here? That God is so above all creation that, yeah, light is his outer garment. It's just a coat. Maybe even just uh, something like a little rain jacket if we can go on with the imagination here. But yet God is so above everything, so beyond everything that... He even says that when he consummate everything, when we have the new heaven and new earth, there won't even be a need for the sun, won't be a need for the moon because he himself will be light for the city. 
And we see, and even in verse 3 and 4, where he speaks to how creation was created to serve him. He uses that language, talking about how he laid his beams, uh, the, uh, laid the beams of the chamber on the water, and he makes the cloud his chariots. He rides on the wi- uh, wings of the wind. He makes the, his messengers wind and his ministers a flaming fire. Creation was created to serve our God. And so again, he sets this tone that there is none like Yahweh. There is none like our God. And that's why he is worthy to be praised here. But then he moves on in verse 5 through 9. He talks about why we praise God because God is one that is over chaos here. He is one that is over chaos. He uses this language, his imagery. He says, look at these key words that he says here. He sets the earth on his foundation that it will never be moved. Verse 6, how the waters stood above the mountains. Verse 7, he rebukes the waters that mean they flood. And the sound of your thunder they make, excuse me, they took to flight. Then he talks about how the mountains sunk down to the place that he appointed them. He set the boundaries so that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. We see that a God is so powerful and so in control of everything, of the chaos that is taking place. So you have to understand in the time, in that ancient time of Egypt, it was one where they would use the, the, the symbolism of water or sea was one of chaos, right? A type of struggle that is taking place here. It was one that they even had what, what was the storm god, um, even that they would worship here. But we see in this part of the text here where the psalmist is saying that God is over chaos and he is bringing order. He even used the language where he says that he rebukes the flood. When he speaks, they move. And not only do they move, but it says the sound of the thunder, they take flight here. It sounds kind of similar when we have a God that is rebuking the storms or rebuking the chaos to to bring order to things. It reminds us the same way when Jesus rebuked the storms when he was with his disciples. The truth is many of us probably feel like life is chaotic right now. There's so much chaos going on and you're trying to worry how to manage things. What, how can I navigate these waters? What does these look like? And let's just be honest that when we feel chaoticness going on, it doesn't feel good. We will be just like the apostles were, panicking. Our faith will be small because we're too busy operating in our flesh and yet dependent on God and who he is, knowing that he's with us. And so just like the apostles, we too run and we wake up Jesus to say, Hey, we need you. We are dying. But what's really fascinating here, if I could for a moment park here, is that we have a God who knew that the storm was coming. You see, when we look at Jesus in the Synoptic Gospel where he, where he sends the disciples out to sea so that they can go to the other side. See, we have a God that is all-knowing. So he, Jesus knew what was going to happen. Right? He knew that the storm was going to take place. And even after he rebuked the winds and the storm, and he rebuked the storm and, it's, uh, and the sea stopped and it calmed, he even asked the question pretty much, where's your faith? Oh, ye of little faith. And he says that because they have forgotten and neglected that he, God, is with them. 
I don't know who needs to hear this today. I don't know who needs to understand and realize that God is with us. Jesus is with us in the same way that God uh, rescued the disciples when they were in the storms is the same God that is over the chaos in our life right now. He is one that can rescue us from the everyday chaos of our lives, whether that's sickness, whether that's marital problems, financial problems, job loss, you name it. Whatever chaos is overtaking you right now, we have a God that is over that. And Jesus even promises that we will experience chaos or trying times because he says in in John chapter 16, verse 33, where he goes on and saying, hey, in the world there will be tribulation. Yes, there will be. But the beautiful part about that is that he said, but take heart because he has overcome the world. My brothers and sisters, I want to tell you today that uh, our word reminds us that the, uh, the sleep of a believer is sweet and peaceful because he knows, she knows that the Lord is with them. Take heart and take courage because God, through the Son of Jesus Christ, has overcome the chaos here. And we see that knowing that chaos exists in our world because sin has entered in and sin causes this chaos. But the beautiful thing, when, it, when you look at here and it talks about how he is establishing foundations, how it will not pass again, how it will not cover the earth again, meaning that there is a stopping point that the chaoticness will be set in place. And Jesus is one who has put a stop or a limit to those who put their hope and trust in him. You see, sin, enemy, the, the, the death, uh, the, the, the uh, sin that overtakes us here, that enter our war, that experience death. When he died on that cross, he defeated death, and death has its sting no more. So it tells us even in Romans that we are not in bondage to that anymore. We don't have to subject ourselves anymore. There's a point that that stops because we have victory in Jesus because of what he has done. And I submit to you today that if you are a brother and sister in Christ, rest assured that we have a God that's over chaos because of the finished work of what Jesus Christ has done. Isn't he worthy to be worshipped, to have a God that is over chaos? But then we see here that we can praise God, not just because he's above all, but, but, uh, but in that he's over chaos, but he is one, as we see verses 10 through 26, he is one that is a provider and a sustainer here. When you look at these verses, he says, out of chaos, get this, he brings life here. Because in verse 10, he says, he makes the springs gush forth with valleys. And he talks about how the beasts have something to drink. The donkeys are quenched here. The birds of the heaven are a place to dwell. He even says his lofty abode. Um, He waters the mountain and get this, and the earth is satisfied because of his works. He even goes on and says in verse 13, look, this word you cause, meaning Yahweh, God causes the grass to grow for the livestock and for plants for the man to cultivate here. What we see is that a God that is a provider for all of his creation. Here, it reminds us in Matthew chapter 6 when he tells them, hey, do not worry what you will eat, what you will wear, what, what you will be clothed with. Because he says that surely if he takes care of the birds who don't sow a thing, surely he will take care of 
us. He will provide all of our needs. And we see here that God is a God that is a provider, not because of what you have done, not because of the, the eloquency of the way we speak or, or because of the position that we have. No, make no mistake, my brothers and sisters, that God is the one that provides. He is the one that has causes us to experience his goodness. The earth is suitable for all of creation. That's what he's getting at. Because notice, even in Genesis chapter 1, he, is, he even gave man authority and dominion over the earth. But here, what we see is that the animals and human are one and the same, meaning that we all are provided for. He even goes on in this section in verses pretty much 19 through 23, where the psalmist talks about how God is one over time. Where he tells them, where he says that he takes the sun here and he play, excuse me, he takes, uh, he made the moon to mark the season and the sun knows its setting places. He even talks about how the lions roar for food for God, how at night they go about looking for their food. And then, then when morning comes, man, go cultivate. Here's the beauty of this passage and I'm getting happy here and I'm going to try to control myself that what this lets us know is that we have a God that does not sleep. Listen, he doesn't sleep nor slumber, as Psalms 121 tells us, so that when it is at night, although the Aten God who goes to sleep, as they would say, in chaos would happen, we have a God that is over time, that whether it's night or day, he is at work. And my brothers and sisters, we can praise and worship God because he does not get tired. He is over time, whether it's morning or night. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that we have a God that we can worship like that. The question is, whatever other gods we have created, can it sustain us during life, during that nighttime? No. And truth be told, it can't even sustain us during the day. And so we see even in verse 24 through 26 where the psalmist takes a moment to pause and reflect on the wisdom of his creation. And the truth is, with this wisdom of creation, he says in verse 24, the manifold of your works in wisdom have you made them all. What we see here is that the, we have that. He takes a moment to pause and uh, admire the wisdom of God. While all the other gods are folly, they're a little fickle, right? They may want to work, they may not want to work. Yet we have a God who is wise beyond our comprehension and understanding, and yet loves us so dearly and so close and gives us the true purpose of life. And what we have here, as we keep moving through the text, verse 27 through 30, in this passage, what you will see here is that you will see how God is the one of life. He is the sustainer and giver of life. You will see the word when you uh, uh, mentioned five times here. And even in particularly verse 29, where he talks about how he takes away the breath, but then he says he gives his spirit and it creates life. What we have here is that not only does God create things, he's over chaos and that uh, uh, he's our sustainer and provider here, but what we see is that the spirit of God himself is life. The very presence of God is life here. And we see the same word that was mentioned in Genesis 1, ruha, the spirit, the breath, the wind. That means that he is actively involved intrinsically in our lives so that even when we're not even paying attention to life around us, he is still sustaining and holding us because he is very life himself. It is the common grace that God gives amongst all humanity. And I'm so grateful that we have a God 
that is one of life. But the reality of it is here is that here's the beauty of this. We can experience more of his life when we put our faith and hope and trust in him. You see, now we experience an element of the Holy Spirit when we, when we know that we're sealed, when we believe in what the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross and not ourselves. So there's not a limited, excuse me, we, sometimes we limit how we can experience the life that he gives us yet we can experience more life abundantly when we put our hope and trust in him. And I submit to you today, are you putting your hope and trust in who Jesus Christ is? And for the believer, are you putting your hope in other things outside of Jesus Christ? I ask us to repent and worship and give our glory and honor to God instead of the other things. The beauty thing of this, this psalm ends here with a doxology. He mentions, he ends with this uh, declaration of saying that he will praise um, as long as he lives, he will sing to the Lord. He even says that while he has being, he will do it. But it's not just intellectual here. No, he says he hopes that the meditation will be pleasing to the Lord. So it's not just a cognitive here, but it's also not just a proclamation, but it's also an action, a calling out that as he sits and marvels at creation. He is hoping that God will be pleased by the way that his life lives and embodies and worship the one true God, Yahweh, because he is worthy of all of our praise. And we can worship him all the more because knowing that sinners and wicked people will do away with because there is a new heaven, new earth that he is coming where there will be no more mourning, crying, or any suffering that this world brings as the chaos takes place. But yet we can bless the Lord, oh my soul, the same way that this psalmist calls us to do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are one who is worthy to be praised. Not only are you worthy to be praised, but God, we can experience your goodness here and now. And what a beautiful thing to know that we don't have to wait to eternity to experience the goodness of who you are, but yet we can honor you to know that you are the only creator, the true one, the true God that is worthy of praise and honor. So help us to do such a thing, God, until you return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.